These are Nebraska corn farmers. They work in acres, not hours, harvesting the energy and climate solutions the world needs. We are proud to stand with you. The success of tomorrow's soy industry depends on the actions we take today. The future is here, and the time to move is now. Market Journal, television for agricultural business decisions, is a presentation of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Partial funding is provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board. so much for joining us today on Market Journal. I'm Bryce Duskin. Well, folks, they are out and about. Last week, we brought you an update on silage chopping, and this week, we've spotted combines in both corn and soybean fields. We do wish all those embarking on this year's harvest a safe and successful season. Coming up on today's show, we'll take a look at some options for cattle producers who might be looking for ways to invest some potential profits. Heather Ramsey is going to join us to provide insights into the grain markets. Plus, we'll give you a behind-the-scenes look at the new UNL Chancellor embarking on a journey across the Cornhusker State. That is all coming up on the broadcast, but first, as producers do get ready to head out and into those fields for harvest, one of the challenges that faces many of them is a shortage of labor. More specifically, the question is, how do you go about finding and securing reliable workers to fill seasonal or year-round needs? With that in mind, the University of Nebraska-Lincoln Center for Agricultural Profitability recently hosted a webinar workshop on seasonal labor and immigration for livestock and crop producers. This webinar is designed to help producers and ag industry professionals understand all the options out there and how they can be used and how to navigate the challenges of different agricultural visa programs. Yeah, so there's really a couple programs that uh, producers who are farmers and ranchers would really be eligible for. The first one is H-2A program. That's a seasonal worker program. That's where we bring someone in from outside the U.S. and generally here for about 10 months. They're here and then they go back to the country and then they can they can come back again. We have to pay them a competitive wage and there's some, been some recent changes to this program which is why we're kind of highlighting it that really put some policy pressure on on Washington as far as the the wage they receive and the type of work they can do. So that's been a that's a program that's been out there for a long time. It tends to be more popular in vegetable and fruit production, um, but is becoming at least more of a feasible option for for row crop producers. And then we have a, another program called the TN visa, which is mainly for veterinarians and people who are in, in kind of breeding stock. And this is a maybe a program that people haven't been aware of, um, and kind of highlighting that for people who might be in, in hog operations or in cattle operations where there's a high veterinary uh, use. And so we kind of have a unique program. We're going to bring, you know, three different people who have all along the, the immigration kind of spectrum and they each offer a different perspective and hope to provide some real insights for producers. 
This webinar will give producers some insights into the USDA Economic Service, university educators, and most importantly, different producers who've had experience dealing with these situations and federal programs. Yeah, so we're going to start with someone from the Economic Research Service. They're just going to talk about this isn't a Nebraska issue. This isn't a Missouri issue. This isn't just a Kansas issue. This is a U.S. ag immigrant uh, issue when we're talking about labor. Then we'll have a lawyer who actually has a lot of experience working with uh, farm and, and ranch operations and trying to get labor over here. He's an immigration lawyer based out of Lincoln. And he's going to talk about what's that process look like from his side. What paperwork do you need to have? Uh, how do you go about applying for um, and finding individuals? And then we're, uh, we're going to have a few producers who have expressed interest in, in sharing their views and their experience with the H-2A program. So pretty unique kind of setup. You know, when we start from broad overview to someone who actually will help you apply for the program to someone who's actually been in a program and they can kind of tell you the ins and outs and details, what worked, what hasn't worked. And so really just provides a broad overview and hopefully is a launching pad to other opportunities where we can just at least have a discussion about this and provide information for producers who are interested in the program who may have heard about it uh, and but maybe haven't tried it because it's you know, with a lot of these federal programs, it's they're pretty complicated. You need someone who's done it before, and uh, and if we have producers who are willing to share their experiences, the more the better. Now, if you're dealing with some labor challenges and are considering one of these programs, we've shared a direct link, a direct link, I should say, to this webinar along with a story. You can find that over on the Market Journal website. Up next, Dr. Rodney Bennett has been named the new chancellor of the University of Nebraska Lincoln. He recently got acquainted with the state of Nebraska by logging over a thousand miles on a bus touring university facilities from Nebraska City all the way to Scotts Bluff. Here's a look at that trip. What a, a trip like this does, and especially over multiple days, this helps you to move that theory into a practical application. So now, instead of just hearing about the different parts of the state and the diversity that is here, you actually get to experience it. You know, you get to feel it and touch it and be with the people and talk to the people and really sort of immerse yourself in the richness that's really here in a practical kind of way. Sure, this is a beautiful photo. Oh, yeah. At the tractor test oh, my God, yeah. Year celebration yeah. last, like three weeks ago. Uh, hi, I'm Emily Mardell. I am an agriculture education student at UNL. Yeah, thank you, Becky. Yeah. So I graduate May 2025, and I'm just so excited to Being out like we are today and being across the state and seeing some of the things that we're seeing really reminds me of my own childhood and my own upbringing. Yeah, yeah. What a great artistic yeah. visual to that. The people, the values, the things that are important, the goals that we have for public higher education, the goals that we have for students, the ways in which we interact with our community the ways in which we honor the land that we are stewards of, all feels like what I've been doing really from my earliest uh, upbringing and recollection. So when I thought about Nebraska as a candidate, I really was thinking about the place where there was a natural fit, where I would understand uh, what, what the assignment was as it were, but also a place where I could learn 
and I can make a contribution and sort of bring my 30 plus years of experience and apply it in ways that maybe had not been applied previously. So I think today in this tour really begins to bring into greater focus what the next you know, 10, 12, 15 years, however long, can look like. If we're bold, if we're courageous, if we don't lose sight of what our responsibilities as the flagship and the land-grant institution are to the state, uh, and what our fundamental sort of responsibility might be to students and to their families and to the taxpayers of the state. I think that we're only limited by our own imagination and our own creativity. And I know that at UNL, there are no shortage of people who are creative and who are passionate and who are committed to this work. So I'm excited to be a part of it and I'm excited to be the chancellor of a place who has those types of values and those priorities. Plenty around, which is good. Yeah, that's really, really good. But it, it had potential, but the lack of moisture shut it down. What our goal is, is you can look up and see the cameras that we have mounted on the ceiling here. And then this is actually the view that you get from all six cameras. So we have 24 hour continuous monitoring of these cattle and then we'll be able to develop an algorithm to track them on an individual basis and have individual data on each calf. And so, so as you go to the top, there's kind of a fiber man on top. Yeah. As you go down, do you feel that fluid at the bottom? Oh, yeah. That's yeah. what's more digest is warmer. Yeah. A lot of reactions taking place. It's about 103 degrees in there. Yeah. And then if you feel the sides, feel how rough those sides are. Oh, wow, yeah. That's those papillas. Uh, I, I think it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. <laughs> you look out over this vastness, and you think about where we started uh, from back in Lincoln and where we are now. And as uh, Mike Bame has said several times on the trip, these zones that we have, this ability to really experiment and explore with different ecosystems across our state in both large scale and small scale kinds of ways, I think really leads uh, in, a, in a very important way to our ability to be the leader in agriculture and natural resources, not just in our country, but really uh, all around the world. And all of that exists right here in the state of Nebraska. There is more difference between Lincoln and Scotts Bluff than there is from Lincoln to New York City. So research-wise, it's wide open. The agriculture community out here is just phenomenal. Uh, and you know, it's oftentimes, most of the challenges we can't solve on our own. You know, we, we're, we're a part of the ag community where we try to add in uh, where we can, but it's oftentimes working with producers, uh, with ranches, with farms, people that come to us with ideas about, hey, you know, we need to maybe focus more on research on this, uh, and and uh, and so we, we come together and and try to co-produce science. You know, it's not just scientists doing our thing. It's 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 we all work together to find solutions to challenging problems. 
I could not imagine beginning my chancellorship here without having spent this time on the road. I think that it really frames and brings into greater clarity and greater focus the opportunities that I have as chancellor to lead and direct and be a part of just an incredible body of work that uh, affects so many people, whether it's climate, whether it's water, whether it's food, whether it's animals, whether it's the land, whether it's that person on their deck or in their backyard who has a garden, who's wanting the best harvest for their hard work all spring and summer. All of that is work that we have seen and heard about while on this tour. And as a university, we have an opportunity to be at the forefront of sort of advancing that and taking that to the next level. Good stuff there put together by the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Now, if you'd like to view that entire video, we've included a link to do so. You can find that over on the Market Journal website. Well, let's turn our attention over to the grain markets now. This week, we're joined here in the studio by Heather Ramsey from the ARC Group. Heather, great Hello. to see you. Hello, good to see you. Well, there's lots to talk about, of course, when it comes to the grain markets. There always is. That's nothing <laughs> new. But we've got harvest underway, portions uh, of our viewing area today. I, I imagine you're getting some phone calls, hearing some yields out there. Yes, we're hearing a variety of yields around dryland corn, a little bit of dryland beans coming out. Um, I would say the easy estimate is that we're 50% off of what we expect in, in these areas for corn. There are some better areas than others, but for the most part, kind of south central part of the state that's come out has been um, wildly um, disappointing. Uh, probably not versus kind of what the growing season was, just in general, way behind what averages look like at this point. We factor that into the conversation, the weekly conversation of the Crop Progress Report and what USDA is saying, says is happening out there, kind of confirms of what the producers are seeing, the crop condition across the U.S. continues to deteriorate, especially in this area. Yeah, it definitely confirms that. The one thing that um, crop condition doesn't do a good job of talking about is this test weight discussion that's been happening. Um, what we've seen off of that early corn is low test weight. Um, you know, we're notoriously seeing 56 plus pound test weight on corn in our area. Dryland corn is hitting somewhere between 50 and 53, and that is significantly low for us, and that obviously will affect um, final crop size once you get through the field. I want to come back to harvest conditions out there and some decisions that uh, producers will be making coming up in a second. But first, I want to go to, I suppose, some of the, the headlines that we saw this past week. Black Sea grain deal was in the news again. Is it happening? Is it not happening? My question for you this week on that topic sounds like it's not happening uh, right now. How much does the market pay attention to that at this point, considering how many times we've gone back and forth? Yeah, obviously we've gone back and forth on that several times over the last two plus years now, right? I mean, it seems crazy that it's drug on this long. And I think because of how long it's drug on, um, you know, every about six to eight weeks, we have a discussion about this. The market really has slowed down its participation and the reaction to this. Um, the other thing is it's notorious that this sort of um, a conflict or maybe a skirmish happens on a weekend and then, oh, now we're going to talk about it on the beginning of a week. And by the time all of that has happened, we've digested that there's not a lot of additional like structural infrastructure damage that has happened paired with a non-existent resolution. And then the market kind of doesn't trade much of that at all. So been very quiet on that reaction um, from the market in regards to what's happening over there. So we take a look at the futures market, corn and soybeans, we'll tackle corn first. Is there a bullish story, something to give some folks optimism out there in the future side? 
Today, it doesn't look like it. Um, yes, a decrease in crop size, shortened supply. If you have a shortening of supply, that should mean a reaction, a favorable reaction. However, um, because our export demand has not gained enough traction quick enough here, so far, that doesn't look like its own standalone bullish story. Now, I will preface that by saying that demand does usually pick up when prices have backed off again. And we are starting to see a little bit of that happening. When you look at the world in general, we have done more um, sales of corn and beans globally into China than any other time in history. At some point, all of those numbers get digested and has the world um, sold enough versus um, you know what our supplies were, stocks were, to just warrant an additional like uptick. So we've got to accumulate some more export sales kind of globally and domestically to really try and change that tra trajectory. Corn may be the lucky beneficiary of a potential bull story in soybeans, um, but right now it doesn't look like it has its own standalone uh, legs, so to speak. Well, expand a little bit more. What is the bull story when it comes to soybeans? Uh, soybean, everybody loves to love soybeans right now. Um, so the crush margin is phenomenal in soybeans. Um, on the board, we're looking at uh, the range has been anywhere from positive 250 to $3 plus uh, per bushel margin, positive margin. So that is wildly positive. Um, we have a shortening of the crop going on. It is very apparent that this isn't going to be a record-setting crop that we were looking for in the soybean world. Um, demand has not slowed down whatsoever. Domestic demand on soybeans is just massive um, to the point where we're not really concerned about having an export market on soybeans, um, processing the biofuels, all of that just through the roof. Um, crude rallying is helping soy oil and things like that. So the whole outlook looks very positive. Pair that with another Northern Hemisphere oil seed having problems, that's canola production being low. It's just really pushed everything over into that soybean usage instead of you know backstopping canola with soybeans. So um, that whole picture looks very, very positive. There are some key numbers that if you see production like below a 52, below a 51, and heaven forbid we get to 50 or lower, um, those would all be stair-step increases in price reaction. Um, I expect soybeans to stay very volatile. Uh, most everyone expects to see soybeans volatile to the top side. There's always some correction happening there. Keep a close eye on that, of course. So that's mm -hmm. the future side of it. And yep. uh, at the local side, we've got the cash, the difference we call basis, yep. or basis levels out there. You know, they're, so historically, they're still pretty good right mm -hmm. now. I mean, we saw some sensational stuff last year, and everyone kind of needs to wipe the slate clean on that. Um, there is some front-end pushes for early delivery corn, so be sure to take advantage of those. If you've got dryland corn coming out now, there are hot spots that are looking for that. Um, we're seeing positive uh, basis levels in that side of the world, um, usually delivery by the 15th of September, so kind of a quick ship. Um, and then on soybeans, we're actually seeing fairly favorable uh, soybean basis for September, even into October. If you look at the bid structure, you can tell they are looking to continue to push to buy beans all the way through to January at this point. Uh, if you have those futures on that we talked about, we've got great carry to incentivize you to take what you need to on a quick ship standpoint, put the rest in the bin, roll carry, and then capture those basis appreciations post-harvest. Looking for that December, January, February timeframe to continue to be our hot spot um, for both beans and corn post-harvest. We do appreciate Heather joining us here on the broadcast. Do you want to note if you're headed out to Husker Harvest Days, you can catch Heather out there on Tuesday and Wednesday. 
Baby boomers, Gen X, millennials, and Gen Z. You're likely familiar with all those different terms described at different generations. Each group has its own values and priorities. These are factors that are crucial to consider in a state farm planning. Learn about succession planning at farm transition workshops that are hosted by Alan Vanalik next week. You can do so by attending Husker Harvest Days. We just mentioned it. It'll be coming to, I should say, near Grand Island, September 12th to the 14th. All the details about this year's big event can be found in the September issue of the Nebraska Farmer. Well, it is now time to check in on weather with Nebraska Extension Ag Climatologist and Market Journal Chief Meteorologist Eric Hunt. Eric, obviously we're back here in the studio today. Looking forward to the big show next week. How is weather going to be for Husker Harvest Days? Well, thanks, Bryce. I'm happy to report that we have almost ideal weather for Husker Harvest Days this year. Looks like mid-70s and ample sunshine. Uh, but first, let's take a look at the U.S. Drought Monitor. It was released on Thursday morning. We had a little bit of degradation report, so we did see some introduction of abnormal dryness in Boyd County and some degradation to extreme drought in parts of Thurston County. Again, about half the state's in drought, half it's not. Uh, roughly 10-11% of the state's in extreme drought or worse. Uh, again, we're starting to see some degradation in parts of the state just because we really have not seen a lot of moisture for about the last three weeks for most of the state. Uh, last seven days, we did see some pretty good precipitation amounts in parts of western Nebraska, so Scotts Bluff up towards Shatter did pick up maybe half inch and inch of precipitation. Uh, some parts of southeastern Nebraska got fairly lucky with some thunder showers on Tuesday morning. Uh, again, most places have been dry, and this has been a theme for about the last three or four weeks. So if we take a look at the common period from August 14th through September 6th, so in, out of 131 years, for northeastern Nebraska, this was the driest such period on record, and as a top 10 driest in north central, central, and southwestern Nebraska. And again, across portions of southern Nebraska, south central, southeastern, and east central Nebraska, again, the reason we're not in the top 10 driest is because of that mesoscale uh, convective complex that moved through uh, back on August 25th and 26th. And again, that's, that recent dryness is really having a major impact on soil moisture. So across a lot of the state and a lot, of course, a lot of the north central part of the country in general, uh, really uh, starting to see some very low uh, percentiles for soil moisture. And as more evidence of that, let's take a look at soil moisture from a couple of sites uh, from the Nebraska Mesonet. So this is from Oakland and Burke County, very eastern part of the state. So again, almost no precipitation here for almost a month. And, you know, seeing some decline in soil moisture in the top part of the profile. And this blue line at 100 centimeters basically just shows it's been flat and it's been flat like that for the entire summer. We've never really had the recharge down to that depth. And it ordered kind of a similar story. Um, Again, you know, we had a couple of rains where we've had some recharge, but it's never gotten that deep and we are now at a pretty low level across um, all depths. But there is some good news. We do have a cold front moving in the state this weekend, and that should bring some precipitation to almost everybody and some cooler temperatures. Now, I think the better chance of getting an inch or two inches of rain is going to be across parts of western Nebraska. I do think we're going to have a bit less precipitation in the eastern half of the state, but I do think everybody should get at least a quarter to half an inch. Uh, we will be seasonally cool through Thursday, but we are not looking at any frost anywhere in the state. And we will probably be dry in the eastern half of Nebraska after Sunday night. We will have chances of precipitation returning to western Nebraska later in the week. And I think we will start to see a return to seasonally warm conditions next weekend. But again, seasonally warm in mid-September is more like highs in the low to mid-80s. Not, we're not looking at mid-upper 90s coming back, I don't think. Uh, moving a little bit deeper into September, it looks like uh, we should stay relatively warm across the northern U.S. That includes most of Nebraska. Uh, again, but I think this is mostly just suggestive highs more in the 80s, uh, maybe some warmer overnights. We're not looking at a significant heat wave coming back in. In terms of precipitation, it looks like we should have some good return flow that would maybe mean for better chances of precipitation across western Nebraska and a little bit less so in the eastern half of the state. Thanks. Back to you, Bryce. 
Alrighty, thank you very much for that update, Eric. We do appreciate it. Finally today, cow-calf producers may be looking at the potential of some significant profits for 2023 due to high calf prices. With a possible influx of income, many producers might have the rare opportunity to invest capital back into the operation. With the opportunity to catch up with a Nebraska Extension educator at this year's Goodman's and Sandhills Laboratory to discuss this topic, here's our conversation. Joining us today is Extension Educator Aaron Berger. Aaron, great to see you here in person. Ah, thanks for the opportunity to be on. Well, in the cattle market, it seems like there is a, certainly a cycle. Some years, producers making money, other years, that's not the case. But in those years where the producer has the opportunity to make some money, you note in a recent article, there's maybe a few things to consider investing in. I guess what were a couple of the obvious things you wrote in your list of areas to invest in? Yeah, so I think, you know, obvious for a rancher is thinking about water development, and uh, that's really critical to a good grazing system. Uh, thinking about things like infrastructure, uh, things like your working facility, uh, looking at your loadout facility, things like that that you use really, you know, frequently. Uh, thinking about the comfort and care not only of the cattle, but the people handling those. Uh, those can be really, I think, valuable pieces. And one thing that's really got my attention recently is the availability of technology to monitor water now, whether that's cameras or pipeline monitors. Those can be really valuable, especially in people where they have to travel quite a ways to check their water uh, can really be a major savings. And so if you got a little extra cash, that might be a place to invest. A couple of wireless systems out there too have had the chance to feature. So definitely yeah. some innovative products on the line. What are some of the not so obvious areas you want to remind producers, hey, this is an area you can invest into? Yeah, I think really in my mind, people, and that doesn't necessarily come to mind right away, but if you think about your ranch business, its purpose is to support people, the owners, the people that work there, and the people that get the product. And so think about the opportunity to reward those people who've been part of your operation when you have the opportunity to do that. And then also think about what's the educational opportunities for them to develop their skill set, help them become more effective at their role. Another thing for me is just, you know, maybe there's an opportunity to think about, could we go do something different with our operation? Let's take a little bit of that uh, cash we have and maybe go make a trip. Let's go see somebody who's doing something we're interested in that on, on the ground, hands-on experience can really give some insight into maybe this is an opportunity we should consider. Here's somebody who's done it, let's learn from them. Producers in that position where they're blessed to have a, a good year, maybe have that opportunity to have some profits to invest. They come to you and say, hey, I'm, I'm open to investing in some new technology. What's the best ROI? Is there yeah. a good answer to the question? Yeah, everybody's ROI is gonna be different really depending yeah. on their situation. You know, it, my bias is Nebraska grass is really valuable. And so I think you really want to look at what are the resources available that I could utilize to improve my grazing system, whether that's water development, fence, uh, things like that. From a ranch perspective, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Another one for me, I think, is just thinking about can you strategically position yourself to maybe buy some commodities in bulk? And uh, sometimes some storage or some things like that can give you an opportunity to buy seasonally and take advantage of that. Good things to think about. Aaron, really appreciate your time here uh, on Market Journal. Thanks again for the opportunity. Now, if you're interested in learning more about some different ways you could invest those profits, Aaron has a lot of resources online. You can check out his Beef Watch article and also listen to a podcast over at beef.unl.edu. Well, that is going to do it for this week's show. As always, we want to thank you for joining us. Reminder for you, if you'd like to look back at some of our previous stories from today or past weeks, you can always subscribe and follow us over on the YouTube channel as well as on our social media pages. Coming up next week, we'll be joining you from the grounds of Husker Harvest Days near Grand Island. Of course, if you're out there and see our crew, be sure to stop us and say hi. Hope to see you back here next time. Until then, I'm Bryce Deuskid, wishing you a safe and productive week.
Join Market Journal online at marketjournal.unl.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Partial funding is provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board. Market Journal is produced by the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources.